Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the next episode of the Sweaty Palms podcast. I'm your host, Zoe Dillon, and today's guest is Drew Beskin. You could describe Drew as a jack-of-all-trades. He's played in many bands, to name a few, the District Attorneys, Party Dolls, and Purses, as well as started his own solo projects. On top of his playing, he manages local acts here in Athens, Georgia, through his production company called Super Canoe. We talk about how he got into the music scene here, cool projects he's working on now, and so much more. So let's get into the episode. My name is Drew Beskin. I have been in Athens for, I guess, close to 10 years, Mm -hmm. or maybe just under... Yeah, I moved here for the second time to run the Georgia Theater. I was mm-hmm. the GM there. And prior to that, I was in Atlanta and I played in bands that I fronted. I also managed a few artists, managed might be a loose term, and then you know, I play some shows, would put together some events, would help raising like sponsorships for events like at South by Southwest for the bands that I was in as well as some other acts. And then I moved up to Athens to the Georgia Theater thing and while I was there you know, started releasing music under my own name, just like as a solo artist. And then while I was there, I was also doing everything I did at the Georgia Theater as a GM, as well as did some booking, did all the private events, got very heavy into the local scene and kind of gathered my favorite artists and started working with them more and started managing more acts like the Pink Stones and um, Wander Wild and Hefner and Well Kept and Elijah Johnston. And then some other bands I've been with for a while, for like like Tito Stone, and a lot of stuff that my friend um, Philip is involved in. Philip Brantley, who is in Modern Skirts and has his own projects as well. Those seven eight years at the Georgia Theater, kind of a blur. At least like looking back on it now, is there for you know about sixty hours a week at minimum. Wow. And then when not there, trying to fill the gaps with making my own music or making music of artists slash friends that I believe in. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic happened and everything kind of shutting down for a bit, it kind of reassessed and started getting more into the management and, and producing records of my own as well as you know artists that I work with. And production, I mean, in the most basic of terms, I'm not an engineer at all. I feel like my strengths are more so on the song itself and song structure and parts and hooks and stuff like that so definitely you know I like to sit with an artist whoever I'm working with and kind of go through the song what and I love co-writing helping with writing and then love getting the studio and kind of communicating between the engineer and the and the artist and kind of just shaping like the way a movie producer is they're not Mm -hmm. the director they're not the writer necessarily but they're overseeing kind of everything and maybe making sure it falls into place. And I've done that on a record that's coming out, my friend's band called Cowboy Curtis. Mm-hmm. Did that the last two Tito Stone records that I worked on with Matt Martin, who is the frontman for Wanderwild and also bass player in Coin. And he's a great engineer, great producer, and great. He does a lot of mixing, he does mastering, and you know Matt doesn't necessarily need me to help with production, but certain projects, it was really great to kind of collaborate with him or or any engineer on you know bringing Tito's songs to life. Mm-hmm. Or say I was at Tweed a few weeks ago with Elijah Johnston for his record, and mm-hmm. Tommy Troutwine, who's engineer, producer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, he made the Hotel Fiction record. And, I've heard um, a lot he, about him. Yeah, he's... You should definitely have him on. He, <laughs> he's very important to the Athens music scene. But, mm-hmm. you know, being, just having a good relationship with Tommy and Elijah, and there's a lot of trust there, you know, to basically like talk about, oh, the song should be like this, or like maybe you should play this part, or maybe I should play this part, or mm-hmm. let's talk about this lyric, or let's talk about this section if we need to carve it up. And, you know, I guess as a 
producer, I'm more so on more surface level, I guess, because mm-hmm. I'm not the one to mic the instruments. I'm not the one to get the proper sounds. I'm the one to go like, yeah, that sounds good. But um, so I left the Georgia Theater, started this company called Super Canoe mm-hmm. with my friend Tim Vary, who is the drummer from Manchester Orchestra, and then my friend Stephen Payne, who is a videographer. He's a musician himself. He does all the video work for Manchester Orchestra, and we kind of started that during COVID or lockdown. So we've kind of used that to start working on other projects, and as well as additionally, I have joined the Athens Amphitheater project that is um, currently in development, but that's fixing to go back and do construction in about a month, and hopefully without too much delay, we should have the venue built and fully operational in like 15, 16 months, hopefully. That's really cool. Do you want to explain a little bit like what it is? Yeah, um, absolutely. It's on Bully Drive, if you know where like, if anyone happens knows where like the Bulldog Inn is. There's going to be a hotel component, there's going to be a recording studio component, yeah. there's going to be a museum component, there's going to hopefully be a few other things that I, I can't really just, um, discuss about that will be in there. Top but secrets. Yeah, top secret stuff, <laughs> super secret stuff. As you enter, there's a lawn space and then the venue itself that can open up to a lawn, but also can close so you can have those shows year-round depending on weather. It's a flex venue, so it can kind of break down. It can go as small as a 2,500 cap venue, and then, of course, if you had put in seating, it could get down to like a 1,200 cap venue, which is the size of the Georgia Theater, and then it can open up more to... 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, really depending on what the artist needs and what the demand for the artist is. So we could have a situation where we book an artist for a 2,500 cap room and sells out and perhaps the demand for the artist has only increased Mm -hmm. and we can open up the room to sell more tickets. That's awesome. Essentially. What was the inspiration behind starting it? There's about two or three people who kind of started it and Mm -hmm. they came to me and I fell in love with the project, and it's definitely something that I think Athens really needs, mm-hmm. and I think it will only help bring Athens to to where I think you know the lore of Athens is. I do think Athens has this Austin, Texas potential, this Nashville potential, and mm-hmm. I think it's really missing just a few key components in being able to grow and spread its wings. At the theater, we would have My Morning Jacket come, or Dwight Yoakam, or even mm-hmm. Kenny Chesney, or a few wow. like huge artists that, that financially don't need to be playing the mm-hmm. Georgia Theater, you know, a thousand cap venue, but there's so much history in Athens that you have these bigger artists wanting to come play Georgia Theater, or 40 Watt, right. just to come play Athens. And, you know, Atlanta's pretty saturated in the venue and festival component, mm-hmm. and I've driven to Infinite Energy Center to go see Harry Styles, or mm-hmm. Childish Gambino, yeah. Or, or Justin Timberlake, and there's, there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. It's just this big empty space that kind of lacks character. Mm-hmm. And what really inspired me to kind of work with this group is that they're very much want this to be Disneyland, not only for concert goers, but for the artists as well. But the goal is, you know, for a ticket buyer or an artist to come in there and never want to leave. It sounds like it could bring Athens more to the national level. When I interviewed Wim, he was talking about just how like we've been nationally dormant for about 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. So that would be really cool. Just hearing y'all's vision for this, I'm right. really excited to see it in action. And I'll uh, definitely I mean, what does everyone say about Athens? Like, you got REM, yep. B-52s. Yep. And then, like, it kind of drops off. You got drive-by uh-huh. truckers. And Future Birds are doing great. Mm-hmm. Those are um, buddies of mine, and they've worked for close to 15 years, and mm-hmm. they're finally starting to get their due and, yeah. and what they deserve. And, but, you know, those guys, they're all spread out anyway. They, they don't really live in Athens anymore, but they're definitely foundation in Athens. But 
what else is there? I can name you dozens of great bands that people should mm-hmm. be listening to, but you might not have made it necessarily. That's a passion of mine that might not necessarily be in line with the amphitheater aspect of things. Cause, you know, amphitheater bringing these bigger artists that can come play. I do think that there's like synergy in terms of, you know, the city that's kind of like an incubator mm-hmm. for great talent. We want to build them up to sell out the 40 watt, then sell out Georgia Theater, mm-hmm. then come play the amphitheater. Mm-hmm. But not just artists here in this city. You know, I think Athens has a lot of, to offer for people who would be visiting from out of town as well. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, this venue would be, could be a huge component of that. That's awesome. So you mentioned that you worked at the Georgia Theater. Do you want to talk a little bit about what exactly your role was, what you did? Yeah. And then I was curious, too, were you working there before it burned down and then after and what the transition was like from that point? I didn't go to school here. Mm-hmm. I went to school in Indiana. I went to Indiana University, mm-hmm. and all my friends went to school here. And I never saw a Georgia Theater show at the old Georgia Theater before uh-huh. it burned down. When I graduated in a, in 2009, I was moving to Athens, and I believe Jenny Lewis was set to play the Georgia Theater. I'm a big Jenny Lewis, Rilo Kiley fan. Mm-hmm. But then the theater burned down you know, right before I got to town. So for that year or two that I was in Athens, the theater was like, in the process of raising money and rebuilding mm-hmm. and getting their new infrastructure. And so the first time I was in Athens, I didn't really spend that much time in Georgia Theater. It was mm-hmm. mostly just other venues. And then I got hired to move back up here in about 2014, mm-hmm. I would say, to run the venue. What I did there, aside from the same like hiring, scheduling, for the first five, six years, I was in charge of all of the liquor license stuff, responsible for that and um, booking all the private events, raising and maintaining all the sponsorships that we'd raise for the venue. And a lot of that would tie in with the alcohol stuff or the Mm -hmm. food stuff that we do in there, or just partnering with other brands. Booked a lot of rooftop and rooftop events and a lot of local shows. And then of course, just maintaining the finances and keeping track of the bank account and making sure we were hitting payroll and making sure that the investors were getting their distributions as well as being part of you know a larger team that acquired the Variety Playhouse and acquired Terminal West and everything that eventually became Zero Mile, which is the booking hub that books Georgia Theater, Terminal West, Zero Mile, and some outside events, which it later got absorbed by AEG, um, which is AEG is like Pepsi to Live Nation's mm-hmm. Coke, essentially. And then when they came in, you know, structure kind of changed a little bit. The day-to-day, you know, maintaining the structure of the building, making sure everything was clean, was up the code, making sure that all the events that we had there, that everything was advanced properly and settling with the artists and um, receiving the artists when they arrived that day. And that can range from just a band showing up at 5 o'clock and doing their sound check and playing at 8 or 9 to, like, a two-day setup or an artist getting there at 6 a.m. and setting up this insane rigging lighting structure, making sure, of course, we had enough security in hand and production to execute that. And there's a lot of pre-production work that goes into an event that's coming up. And, of course, we're booking our calendar months in advance. So there's always something to be doing, and there's always something to be looking ahead on and always thinking about you know, how we're going to make summer busier. Who is the hot, young, local band? Building the rooftop was 200 cap, and we would have a band play and do a free show, and it was to capacity. Then we said, okay, let's get you again on the rooftop, Mm -hmm. and this time we'll charge ticket price. And if that sold out, well, okay, well, it's time to move you guys downstairs and justify the expenses of turning the lights on and hiring the production people inside because it's 
obviously more expensive to put it on a show downstairs than it is on the rooftop. But that was a great way to kind of gauge how a emerging artist would grow. I think it was right before my time, but I know Sturgill Simpson played on the rooftop. What? No For like way. 150 bucks, free show. And then, of course, now. Yeah, he's huge. He's huge. Like, it would not make sense for him financially to play at the Georgia Theater. Mm-hmm. And I remember Chris Stapleton playing for 200 people downstairs, then 400 no people downstairs, and 800 people. And he actually never came back to do a show at the Georgia Theater to sell it out because mm-hmm. by then he was already so huge. Yeah. So... I wish I was here when that happened. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd love to talk more about what were your early influences and introduction to music just so we can talk more about you. You know, it all started just by the music that parents would have at home. You know, they liked a wide variety of things. Neither my parents were very, like, super into music, Mm -hmm. but, you know, they would have, like, a Pointer Sisters record or a R.E.M. record. And and back then, and really, it took me to live here before I even... I never thought about R.E.M. as like, they're a Georgia band. Mm -hmm. Even though I grew up in middle school, high school, having all their records and like reading the liner notes, knowing who played on what Mm -hmm. and loving all of R.E.M. But I I just never had that mindset. I never thought about they're part of the Athens scene Mm -hmm. or they're part of the New York scene. I was like, I like this band. Right. And then when I went to school, when I went to college, I remember a friend of mine, he's like, do you know the Wigs? I was like, no. He's like, (laughs) how do you not know the Wigs? They're from Georgia. I Mm -hmm. I, I don't like that's not how I find music. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Um, and then Bellas to the Wigs, and I, you know, my, I think every single version of a band of mine has gone to open up or play with the Wigs in some form. But it's just funny how that stuff works. But you know, growing up, you know, there's like REM. I was a big fan of the Eagles. Mm-hmm. You know, Love the Eagles. and um, I know that's not necessarily cool for everyone to like the Eagles, but <laughs> but I like them. A I lot. like them too. Yeah, and they were one of my first bands and stuff. But got really into Oasis, got really into like Britpop music, and that's really what I did all day, every day in high school, was just like be into music and mm-hmm. learning how to play guitar and piano and attempting to kind of write songs, and I and did that a little bit in college too, but I don't think I've really wrote anything halfway decent until the end <laughs> of my college days, and then um, I moved to Athens because I had some friends who were playing a lot of shows, and there seemed to be a, a good music scene, and mm-hmm. most of my friends in Athens like decided to stay for another semester mm-hmm. and I graduated on time I was like well I'll just come here and you know get a bar or, or, or waiter gig mm-hmm. start a band which I always wanted to do that year or two when I was in Athens for the first time were very formative because you know learning just a lot about a live show and putting that together and promoting and getting, and getting word out for that and then writing a song and going to the studio recording that releasing a record and seeing how that works so my passion has always been songwriting the artists I gravitate to in terms of like the artists that I work with is because I respect their songwriting. I respect many types of, mm-hmm. of genres and songwriters and everything. And I work with a lot of different artists, but the ones that I really get in and, get, and try to get my hands dirty and coming up with plans and taking meetings with and trying to book tours for you. I, I do have some clout or pull when, when booking a tour for a young artist because of other mm-hmm. venue managers and just kind of having that experience and being able to say like, I think this will work because of A, B, and C and, and not just saying, oh, we're going to book a show and hope people show up. Yeah. And also knowing that saying an artist on the road or me going on the road doesn't necessarily equate Spotify numbers mm-hmm. or money or fame and glory, but it's something that one has to do to strengthen yourself as a live act and also just get out there and engage with whatever fans there might be or earn some new fans. 
everybody says you have to get on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Like it's moving that way in order yeah. to get big. I do encourage the RSI work with to do it. And half of them are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And half of them are like, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've worked with so many artists where I'll say like, okay, you need to film this video or you need to go, you know, we booked the show that you wanted. So mm-hmm. like get on Instagram yeah. and promote, promote the freaking show that you wanted so badly. And they'll either like they'll pretend like they don't hear me uh-huh. or, or they'll do like a half job. And that's fine. But don't be surprised if the venue doesn't want to have you back. Right, or, yeah. don't, or don't be surprised if the booker's not like super impressed with you because everyone needs to be giving 110% when promoting every single event. And, and everyone needs to understand they should not be playing within weeks of each other in a local market under rare exceptions. Being successful in music is not an easy thing. You can have all the talent, all the songs in the world. You could have the 10 best songs and a great album and a great live act, and that's like 20% of the battle. Because the rest has to do with branding and marketing and getting the word out and making sure your friends um, know about it and getting your friends stoked on it. And so hopefully they'll tell their friends. And, mm-hmm. and I usually, like when I talk to artists who wants to release a record, I usually say like, from releasing this record, what are you going to get that's going to satisfy you? And when I release a record, I do want to like, I want to make sure there's some decent press behind it and I want to make sure that, you know, people hear it, but I'm also not willing to go on the road for weeks at a time because I get at home and yeah. I'm just 35 and not really in, into that. So mm-hmm. I know that, that I have realistic goals and mm-hmm. I try to make sure when I talk to the artists I work with that they're very aware of what their goals are. Apart from Instagram, TikTok, hanging up flyers when when you're helping a band try and promote their new album or release mm-hmm. what else do you tell them to do like what are important elements that they need to include what, what do you post on instagram how do you get it out well i mean it's you gotta make a lot of noise and there's like you know i, I definitely don't have all the answers or even necessarily the right answers i just know that a lot of grit and hard work being put into every aspect of your band whether it's the the art portion of it the visual portion down to what you wear except for you ever see me play you know that I don't know anything about fashion or anything because I don't really I'm not really I can't do that Mm -hmm. but I do know that that's important to look good (laughs) or to look the part and also have a have a knack for social media Mm -hmm. you know engage with fans create fans and engage them I think most people would be the music gig would probably be pretty easy if you would just release a record and you had all these fans that you're waiting to engage Mm-hmm. with you but like you have to find a way to get them to notice you right and that's kind of the the never ending question sort of but you know so the answer is like you gotta do tiktok you gotta do instagram you gotta do a, a great digital um design and also print a poster you also mm-hmm. have to hit up every radio station and see if they'll do something if they'll mm-hmm. and even though even though the question is what is radio anymore does radio right. even matter that, you i was still, about to ask you that right i mean I don't know, but I know that no stone should be left unturned, which is why I think a lot of people end up giving up because you'll keep throwing something against the wall and nothing's sticking or if you're in a band, but if I'm in the band, I'm the lead singer and songwriter and putting all the money into it and putting all the effort into it and like no one else is really contributing, no one's helping. Like bands that band together and share the load, I, I think will will always be better than one person who is by himself. But it's really about engaging and also just, knowing that you would be making the music and releasing it regardless. It's like it's not about trying to be famous or be successful. The idea of being successful to me would be able to make a living off music so you can continue to make music. Mm-hmm. 
the dream to me would be like if all I had to do was get up and go record tunes and then release them, but I can't mm-hmm. because it's not it's not really viable. So I have other career paths that allow me to when I'm have some free time go record some music mm-hmm. and then release it and play a few shows. I feel satisfied with that. And then you know a band like Hefner for example, everyone's kind of putting their big boy pants on and we're meeting once a week and we're, you know, we're having objectives that we need to hit things that, you know, whether we're talking about merch, we're talking about getting everything ready to release the next song and getting everything ready to promote the next headline show and getting a tour set up and finding a booking agent, filling the band to where they get to a level to where there can be some money to go around. But also then the day, like I'm not, I don't go and meet with Hefner and work on Hefner stuff because I'm hoping to make money off it. It's because it's something that I believe in because it's cool. So you mentioned your early influences in it. I know you said Oasis. Mm-hmm. And I, so I work at the 40 Walk Club mm-hmm. and I'm really, really sad that I couldn't work uh-huh. y'all show bro Oasis. But yeah. can we talk about that? Just Absolutely. I saw the videos and then I saw y'all perform at Smith's Old Bar. It just looked so fun. And like you guys had just great stage presence and energy mm-hmm. and yeah, can you talk about that show? And oh, I'll talk about Bro Aces all day long. Yeah, t- and tell me about just the band, yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah, my wife um, was saying the other day, like, because we had these two shows set up, mm-hmm. and we'll, I, I think we're going to do it again. I know everyone at Forty Watt was was pumped on it, uh-huh. and I'm going to um, be there hell, in the next hell, one. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked already talked about some dates. Hopefully, maybe in October or, uh-huh. or later, and and awesome. I think we'll we'll continue to, to do it. I'm a, I'm a massive Oasis fan. That's uh-huh. like my favorite band i love that band just because you know the guitarist is the songwriter and he does all the background vocals uh-huh. he sings a few songs every once in a while but you have this front man mm-hmm. um who is his brother and, and the guitarist wrote all the songs and then you know they release all these b-sides that the guitarist sings on it's just it's like an island you can get lost in mm-hmm. on and, and i understand the name oasis yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i never thought about it like that. <laughs> So the guy that I got to do um, the Liam Gallagher stuff, his name's Chris, and he was the drummer in our first band, the District Attorneys, mm-hmm. and we played around Athens a good bit. We were probably more around in like 2010, 11, and mm-hmm. 12. The District Attorneys, we won flagpole band mm-hmm. in album of the year, so that hell yeah, that's good as, that's good as a Grammy. <laughs> um, that was probably you know I was in my early 20s then, so we would tour up to New York, we tore mm-hmm. up to Austin, back. We would play a good bit, and we would practice all the time. We kind of we gave it as much as we could for those four or five years. Mm-hmm. And there was exceeding a lot of goals. I don't think there was really ever a goal in my mind of like becoming like famous band. It was mm-hmm. more like I'll work my day job and then focus on the band stuff. And that's right. my passion. And you know, at the end of the day, if I can make a record and write some songs, that's great and play mm-hmm. some cool shows. And then everyone was just getting into life stuff, figuring out what everyone was doing, like relationships or moving to different cities. You know, I started getting a little restless in my songwriting mm-hmm. and started that Party Dolls band, and we just did one record for that. And I wanted to release it. I wanted to make sure people were there. And I thought it would be fun to do an Oasis tribute thing mm-hmm. because I do love that stuff. And I, at the time, you know, Yacht Rock, they had like this whole like company essentially. And Yacht Rock's huge. And they have... Nick, who founded Yacht Rock, he has this Beatles tribute thing called mm-hmm. Please Please Rock Me. I don't think they do it as much anymore, but they would play at Smith's Hall Bar all the time. And I would go see it, and it was just like going to like a museum. And they would do the Beatles, and they would do it perfectly. And these songs that never really got played live by the Beatles. You know, there's a difference between it, a band that's just doing cover. Mm-hmm. Because we, would, we did, as a band, learn like 40 songs 
just really quickly, like what 40 songs can we learn so we mm-hmm. can fill up a three-hour set? Mm-hmm. And then we'll throw in our own originals and go play at bars so we can make some money to go make a record. And then we did this Oasis thing, knowing that I was going to release Party Dolls record, you know, have my band and my Party Dolls band open up for, for Oasis, knowing mm-hmm. that if we pushed like a themed like Oasis thing in Atlanta, that yeah. it will probably sell out the 300 ticket room. And it did. Nice. And that was great. So I could have my band and I could play my songs yeah. for like 40 minutes. And That's then, really good marketing. It's yeah. really smart. Yeah. yeah. And then and then after, have a hell of a lot of fun doing these Oasis songs. So I was able to feel creatively satisfied by playing my own songs mm-hmm. and then and then just have some fun right. doing the Oasis thing and doing it justice and playing all the hits, but all the, like the classic album tracks and the famous B-sides and stuff. And it was great because you'd have these British people who live in Atlanta hear uh-huh. about it and they're coming and I've made friends because yes. of that. And they're like, yo, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And like, whatever. <laughs> um, I liked your accent. Yeah, I can't do an accent. <laughs> but um, we did the 40-watt gig. We did a Smithville bar gig and they were both so much fun. Mm-hmm. And the other guitar player, he was also a guitar player in the district attorneys. And then the other three guys, friends of other bands, like the bass player, his name's Alec. I've worked with him in other capacities. We've known each other for a while, and he's a big Oasis fan. So right off the bat, like he and I are the ones who showed up to practice knowing the ins and outs of the songs. Drummer, guitarist, and keyboard, they're learning the song. They, they didn't grow up listening to them every day. So it's a great way to have fun. I do love playing live and I love an energetic crowd. So doing something to kind of guarantee that there will be people there mm-hmm. is really fun. It's definitely a labor of love and it's yeah, I think definitely something we will keep keep doing. And then, you know, just casually working with other artists. I think I mentioned we worked on Elijah's new record and I got to co write two songs with him on that and that's mm-hmm. so much fun i just love co-writing and it's something i never i've never really done it for my own stuff with other people i guess it's more of look what i can do for you let yeah. me get in there and i do my best to not try and come in and command the scene turn it uh, into your right, song right turn into my stuff each song is its own thing but i definitely kind of have my own set of beliefs of like how something should be and i definitely want to make that voice heard but you know also knowing that like Taylor might have an idea that's completely opposite of mine and goes completely against it. And and that's such a fun learning experience to like kind mm-hmm. of sit with it and go, okay, well, let's see what he's saying. And like I might never ever hear it quite the way he heard it or the person who hears the finished product for the first time because I have this idea in my head that, that never got fully realized. But mm-hmm. that's also kind of the give and go of the creative process. So that's and you're never too old or too young to start learning that. What's it like co-writing with somebody? Like, what's the process like? And I guess it'll be different depending on who yeah. you're working with. But it, could it, you go into that a little bit? It's definitely different. A lot. A song that Elijah sent me, he just sent me what he wrote. And it was like a half-finished song without a chorus. And then I wrote a chorus. And then I think I had like an extended chorus. And I sent it and I wrote my version. And I sent it back to him. He like cut out that bridge and, and put a little tagline to end the chorus he wrote. Mm-hmm. And it was... And I heard it was like, oh, oh, oh okay, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so that's really fun, and that's kind of how it is with Elijah. And with Tito, it's kind of the same thing. He'll either send me like a starter song and say like, finish it, mm-hmm. and I'll finish it, or he'll send me a full song, mm-hmm. and I'll say like, cut, mm-hmm. cut that out, yeah. or we'll get together and we're at his house for a few hours, and we end up writing like four or five songs. I can't even really remember who wrote what. And it's just <laughs> yeah. like we're just hanging out coring it to the phone and then going listen to it and talking about it and then going mm-hmm. back and then taking these songs taking 
studio and then that becomes this completely different thing Mm -hmm. because what you have versus how you wrote it in your head versus what it ends up being and sometimes you're like this is exactly what i want or this exceeding my expectations that's usually what i hope for and that's kind of why i really enjoyed the process of making this new record with tommy elijah was like a lot of the times would be like okay well we're coming to the studio this thursday and it's tuesday and the song's not written yet Mm -hmm. maybe the idea or the title or like a little piece is written so like stay up all that Tuesday night or Wednesday night before mm-hmm. and write it to where I'm happy with it, send it to the guys, go in. The problem that with the people record, I, I'm very happy with it, but I was definitely like, it was the first time where I would try to be precious about everything. Mm-hmm. And, and it's fun and it turned out, but, but I, re- I really like the off the cuff thing. And prior to this new record with Tommy Elijah and Gideon, like it was always, you book days in the studio, the first two days, Get drums and bass just knock that out and mm-hmm. then go back and do everything which is a very constructive way um of doing something it's definitely a good way to to be mindful of the budget and everyone's time but going in and like starting the day and leaving the day with a finished song is definitely for me way more rewarding the best i can really offer is just like structure of a song and if it's something that i really gravitate to i can add to it and i love doing that but also, you know, I also don't have to be the one to do it. Like Tito sent me half of a song, and then I wrote what I thought was the rest of it. And I sent it to Tito, and he liked it. But there's this itch in my and there's thing in my eyes. Like I feel like this is like something that we've done before a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I hit up Taylor Cotton from Hefner and Wanderwald and Grand Rapids, and Taylor's a songwriting machine. Mm-hmm. And some and some I really respect that. I was like, can and so Taylor and I met up and worked on Tito's song without Tito. It was like, here's what I have. What would you have? And he came up with this other part for it. And then, like, additional lyrics. And it was kind of fitting. And it still wasn't quite done. And we, then we got back together again. And we added this bridge that I didn't think was going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I just didn't expect a bridge like that. And then it ended up. Then we went to the studio and it became this thing. So it, that was an example of a song starting, like, from Tito, then to me, mm-hmm. then to Taylor, then back to me and Taylor. And then we take it to the studio and knock it out. When someone sends me their record to listen to and says this is finished, I'll always like accept it. I accept mm-hmm. it as like this is like their truth or their art, whatever. But if it's a song that's being written and it hasn't hit the studio yet, it's like it's not done until until it feels right. And there's mm-hmm. no way to really know that until you get that feeling. Mm-hmm. And I remember when Taylor and I were working on this Tito song. I remember like going like ah it's good but I don't know and then like mm-hmm. we all and then we eventually eventually got to the place where we were all super happy with it. So when you're sitting and you're co-writing with somebody and you're coming up with lyrics and maybe you've got a guitar or drums mm-hmm. or something, what comes first for you? Does it depend each time what song you're writing? Do the lyrics come first? Do the instruments? For Does me, it kind of all blend together? For me, it's usually the melody, and that's the most okay. important part for me. That I feel like of all the things that I like, as far as music goes, the thing I probably maybe have the most experience or knowledge on is what makes a good melody. Mm-hmm. You know, when I hear a song for the first time, that's what attracts me. Lyrics are usually the last thing I really know. Okay. Lyrics are usually what it's kind of like a relationship. Mm-hmm. You meet someone and you want to start dating them because they're attractive, you know, physically or something. But that's not foundation of the lasting. That doesn't make the relationship last. Like mm-hmm. what makes a relationship last is getting to know each other, getting to understand right. each other, and having this bond and finding what's underneath. 
and everything. And that, to me, that's the lyric. Mm-hmm. That's what's important. That's but, a really beautiful but, analogy. <laughs> yeah, but like the surface level stuff, like this person's pretty or this person's handsome or like, mm-hmm. you know, that's what gets you in the door, but right. doesn't necessarily make you stay. So you can have all the great sounding parts and a cool riff. And I feel like the bridge that gaps those things is the melody. And usually melody, for the most part, is how it's being sung. And so if I'm starting to write a song or I hear something like, like I try to, to map out the melody, like I might, I'll, I'll usually like write some nonsense words to mm-hmm. keep track of the melody. And a lot of the times, often not, I usually end up liking the nonsense words or at least because mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't know, what, what they, how much of our brain did they say we use? Like 5%, yeah. 8%. And you see all those movies where like, take this pill and you use all of your brain. Yeah, and, yeah. and some of the songwriting, like sometimes there's some happy accidents. Like you're writing this song and like you're playing this melody and like this like word is like stick. It's, for some reason, you don't know why. Because mm-hmm. you might not even know what the subject of the song is. And I don't necessarily always know what the subject of the song is when I'm starting it. Or sometimes I know going into it, but it might change. But then, like, a word might pop up while going blah, 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 like, over mm-hmm. the thing. And, like, oh, this is a word that should fit and gravitate to that. And the pieces start to come together. It's mm-hmm. like this unsolved puzzle. And once the puzzle feels solved and good, then the song is written. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a little bit of magic, mm-hmm. you know, music or, you know, any sort of art. But for me, it's, you know, the music stuff, like this thing that did not exist that got created out of thin air whether it's by one person or a team, there's some magic in there. And it's like exercising muscle in your brain that most people don't choose to, you know, there's, I'm sure there's someone out there who is a forestry major or something mm-hmm. um, and might never pick up a guitar or instrument, but like they might have it in them to write a song, but they'll never mm-hmm. know because they never right. tried. Um you can be Isn't confident it? that you're not that person. Right. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I definitely try. But also, I could be really good at something else that, that I never tried. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's people who there's people who have great voices, and they but they don't sing. Mm-hmm. They just happen to have a nice voice. And if they worked harder, they could probably be more naturally gifted singer than someone who works harder than anyone. Some people just born with certain things. Some people have to exercise certain muscles to get to where they are. This is kind of off topic, but mm-hmm. you mentioned the Eagles earlier, and I was just curious, what's your favorite song by them? Of all time, is probably, I'd have to say Last Resort, but it's such a long song and so far off from anything that I'm, I'm really like kind of into. I love um, New Kid in Town. I've been thinking about that one lately, but I'm more of a Don Henley person. New York Minute was probably like my first like song that I obsessed mm-hmm. with. It might be more Glenn Fry. Yeah. He also, weirdly enough, he died on my birthday in 2016. Really? Yeah, I was really That's sad because I, I love the Eagles and he yeah. was my favorite. Yeah, he was, um, you know, I love him. And you, you've seen that documentary, the two-parter. Um, which one? It's called History of the Eagles. It's um, like a two-parter. It was on Showtime, but I believe it's on Netflix now. I'm going to watch it if it's on it's, Netflix. It is that. one of the best documentaries of all time, even oh, wow. if you hate the Eagles. Uh-huh. I have to um, watch it. That's what I'm going to do later. <laughs> and, and do you know who Bill Simmons is? Yeah. He, um, back when he had Grantland, he wrote this piece on that documentary, mm-hmm. and you you have to watch the documentary, then you have to go read the, the Bill Simmons piece because it's okay. one of the funniest things I've ever read, oh, especially wow. like t- just dissecting the documentary mm-hmm. because there's a lot of stuff to make fun of Glenn Fry about and a lot of stuff to make fun of Don Henley about, and I love Joe Walsh, and I love all of them, but Don Henley and Glenn Fry are pretty easy targets to be made fun of, mm-hmm. but I love New Kid in Town. I love that's a good one. I'm a big fan of I Can't Tell You Why. I think that's just such a perfectly produced song. Mm-hmm. 
I like Lion Eyes a lot. I, I Lion love Eyes great too. A lot of their music tells a story, and I think the stories behind yeah, their and that songs that, are that cool. one like yeah, the, a, a song that kind of tells a specific story. I, I feel is like very hard to do well because yeah. it can it, it can really get cheesy really quick. Lion Eyes is a good example. Good ones. Billy Joel's really good at that. You know, abstract is a lot easier. It means so many different things to so many different people. Um, but the Eagles did, did a good job at that. You have to watch that documentary. I'm going to. I'm going to watch it tonight. It's on my little Because the list. first, like, 40 minutes, it's not even really about the Eagles. It's about, uh-huh. like, Linda Ronstadt and Jackson Brown and then just, like, that California scene, that mm-hmm. scene in the early 70s. And then, you know, the first half is the one that everyone loves. I love the second half because they talk about, like, I, I, Hell for You is Over is probably my favorite, my first record. Mm-hmm. So that's, like, was my introduction. Uh-huh. And New York Minute was on that record. So mm-hmm. I always associate that as an Eagles song. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I guess I would say Last Resort or, I mean, like, Jackson Brown wrote all of Take It Easy with the exception of It's a Girl, My Lord, and a Pact and Ford, Slowing Down, Take a Look at Me. Like, mm-hmm. Glenn Fry wrote that line, uh-huh. and he probably came up with the idea to do the ooze mm-hmm. at the end. But the rest, that's a Jackson Brown song. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. have to do a deep dive in mm-hmm. the music history. Do you have any shows that I you'd like to talk about? I have one show coming up at 40 Watt on May 28th. Okay. That's going to be the last time I play for the foreseeable future with the backing band I've had for like the last five years. We're just going to play songs from the record that I released last year and mm-hmm. then a few other songs from other records. And then after that, I'm going to take a break for a few months, mm-hmm. but also get the band together from this Tommy Elijah Gideon thing. Okay. And we're going to play shows with this new record. This record I made with Tommy Elijah and Gideon, it's just it's very special. It's special to all four of us, so it's not something I wanted to say hey, my old band, let's just take a few of these songs and add it to there. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to play it live with Tommy, Elijah, and Gideon because it was a lot of pure magic moments there. And I've had pure magic moments with, with Philip, Jeremy, and Josh. But mm-hmm. I just want to try this other thing. I have like 45 minutes set, 40 watt, playing with this new band called Echo Locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, made up some, like, tweet students. And Tommy's playing guitar cool, cool. in that band as well. And then this band that I love called Quiet Hounds or headlining they're like an atlanta band mm-hmm. um they've been around for a, a long while but yeah it, it should should be fun that that's the only show i really have on the books for the foreseeable future and then mm-hmm. i'm planning on like an album release show sometime in october that i'm trying to w- work out and then also figuring out doing more bro aces stuff mm-hmm. and, but yeah 528 at 40 watt should be great please come if you can can you talk about Super Canoe? Yeah. And kind of, so you started a multi-purpose management production mm-hmm. company with Tim Berry mm-hmm. from Manchester Orchestra mm-hmm. and then Stephen Payne. Mm-hmm. So how does one go about starting a management production company? What was the story or drive behind wanting to start this company? Well, we had another partner involved as well, too. So it was kind of four of us. And then but that partner kind of dissolved. We set it up like, mm-hmm. like a real record label. And then... You know, there's a video component, so we're making music videos and we're, we're filming live sessions. And we're also taking paid gigs to go, like, do something at the Fox Theater and mm-hmm. film Manchester Orchestra or go do Coin at the Tabernacle or make a music video for someone or record a record for someone or do a whole album campaign for someone, which means all the, the press, the photos, artwork, the videos, mm-hmm. everything. And, you know, we've been doing it for a little bit. And, you know, sometimes we're really busy, sometimes we're not. This weekend we're making music, two music videos for Cowboy Curtis and then a music video for Vision Video. Mm-hmm. 
um, which is an, an Afghan fan, making this video for Vision Video, I'm really excited about. Because it's the first single from their anticipated new record. We did the video with some videos for Pink Stones, and we also recorded them doing like a whole live session. So like th that stuff's fun for me. We have a day. Everyone's so busy, but we have a day to do this. So like we go to this location. We're going to film everything for a music video. Take a break. Come back up. We're mm -hmm. going to record a live session. We're doing the whole record, so then we can send you know four of these songs to NPR Tiny Desk mm -hmm. and like something to like Stereo Gum or something. And that's kind of what I like to do with song and production. It's kind of what I like to do with Super Canoe. Here's the task at hand. Here's the budget we're working with, or no budget at all. Mm -hmm. Here's the time constraints. How do we get the most out of it and make it the best we can? And that's kind of in my mission, Super Canoe, whereas Steven's mission is, you know, doing his best video work mm -hmm. and photo work. And Tim is, like, arguably one of the biggest rock bands that's out there, right? And he's he's the one who's bringing in, like, the opportunities. Like, hey, we can do something in Manchester. We can do something in Coin. Or we can do something with the rapper B.O.B. What can we bring to the table? And, like, Super Canoe there is... Elements of Super Canoe that, you know, will be utilized for the amphitheater project, which I'm excited about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's about two plus years old, but still very much in an infant phase. Nice. That sounds very well-rounded and thought out, and you have a lot of really cool things that you're doing. Trying. Um, yeah. Sure. You always got to, I guess, start somewhere and mm -hmm. then build from there, and then it turns in. It's so cool to see, like, when you start a project, where you started, and then looking back where you are now, and even if... It's not finished or at the final stage. It's just cool to see how much progress you've made. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on and being here. It was so cool to have you as a guest, and I've learned so much about you. Also, you performed at my Nucci Space Jam. Oh, yeah, um, with Annie. Yeah, last semester. Yeah. And, and you know Zoe, uh, Zoe Willard. Another Zoe. Yeah, yeah. Because I was wondering um, – I got the Zoe's confused, uh -huh. but I realized that you were two different Zoe's. Yeah, she uh, she's such a cool person. She's great. We're friends like from class and stuff. She's great, and like Annie is a she's you know she's a great violinist, great mm -hmm. artist in her own right. She's also a killer engineer and producer, and has worked on a lot of great projects. And she's also touring as Faye Webster's mm -hmm. keyboardist and violinist. Cool. And so, you know, she's extremely talented. And that and that Nucci thing was really fun, and that's something I normally don't do the acoustic thing like mm -hmm. but which is why i love doing it with annie and it's, mm -hmm. it's definitely a side i mean i, I like the the rocking the silly stuff but you know at the end of the day i'm i'm just a sad boy who wants to play <laughs> acoustic songs and, and that, that's very fun to do especially when there's a warm receptive audience that was mm -hmm. that was really fun thing and thank you for having me this was so much fun yeah of course and we'll see you guys next week